You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. So where we're at in Luke's gospel is we are in the thick of his, what we consider his kingdom teaching, as well as his moral teachings. So what he's doing is he is laying parable after parable after parable, truth after truth after truth after truth to his apostles, the 12. And then we're going to have a situation today where we're going to have some some looky-loos, people overhearing, overhearing, I said that right, um, eavesdropping and kind of listening, but they get offended even when they're eavesdropping. So we have all of this going on. These parables, what Jesus is doing is, is it's a consistent theme throughout. Nate hit on this and Coach hit on this last week. It is the theme that continues throughout is repentance. Repentance. That is what I call the old Texas two-step. Number one, you have to turn away from your sin and then turn back to God. So it's a two-step process. Turn from your sin and turn back to God. That message was the same when John the Baptist, the forerunner to Christ, came with that message of repentance. And guess what? Back then and even today, it is not a popular message. Repentance is not popular. Why? Because our toes get stepped on sometimes, and rightfully so. Repentance is looking inward at ourselves and saying, golly, I missed it again. Lord, I repent of that. I turn from that. I don't want to do that anymore. That's part one. Part two, Lord, I need you. So this message of repentance is simply getting our hearts right with God and being reliant on him at all times. And what Jesus is doing is he is teaching his disciples kingdom truth, truth of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God is being preached, and we're going to see him reference that today. He's saying the time is now. Don't wait. That time is now. So if you would, open up to Luke chapter 16. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the the actual parable first because there's there's some additional stuff that goes along with this that at first glance when you're reading it you're like okay how does all of this make sense we're going to see that today so this is the parable of the unjust steward or the parable of the unjust manager so let me go ahead and read the first eight verses and then we're going to come back and and talk about this This is Luke 16, starting in verse number one. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man, talking about the manager or the steward, um, uh, an accusation was brought against this man wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. 
I cannot dig, I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and, and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now, really what was happening is you had a lazy manager. You had an owner. This owner was very wealthy. And the reason we know that is he hired this manager to be his steward. Like I said, he was lazy. He was wasting these goods. It wasn't important to him because he wasn't the owner. He was just the operator, the manager of it. So what did he do? He gets called out. He gets brought into the boss's office and he's read the riot act. Basically, he is getting fired. And so what's going through his head is there's several things. Number one, oh no, I'm caught. Can't do anything about it. I'm caught. The guy caught me. Um, and then his question was, well, what am I going to do? What is next for me? Because unlike the temptations, this guy was too proud to beg. And half of you are going to get that on the ride home. So nothing from Brady. Nothing, no, I don't need your pity. I don't need your pity. Moving along. What's that? I don't know. Did y'all hear me in the back? Oh, okay, never mind, never mind. Moving along. Some of you are like, what is that guy talking about? So this guy was too proud to beg. He said, what am I going to do? My master is taking the stewardship away from me. I can't dig. What am I going to do? So he gets this bright idea. He said, okay, I'm going to go to the people who I do business with. I'm going to call in those old debts. I'm going to say, okay, you owe us 100. Just write down 50. We'll call it good. Goes to the next guy. You owe 80, okay, or you owe 100. Write down 80. We'll call it good. So what he is doing is he is using his wit to try to figure out how can I get in the good graces of these people to where they're like, oh, you're unemployed? Okay, here, come work for me. That was what was going on. And so what he does in verse number eight, so the master commended this guy, the unjust steward, the guy who was wasting his goods. He commended him because he had dealt shrewdly. Now, for us... We think of shrewd as being underhanded or like a snake or morally compromised. But that's not what this means. It can mean those things, but acting shrewdly means acting wisely or prudently. Sometimes that can be in a dishonest way, but not always. So this, this word that is used here by Luke 
is that word shrewd that we think of negative, but is not always. Now, the thing about this unjust steward, this guy, what he was doing, he was getting caught. He was getting fired. That bill is coming due. He's like, okay, what am I going to do? His livelihood then depended on it. So what he was doing is he was saying, okay, I need to figure out my next steps because that those walls are closing in. I need to go and do something. Now, we see that this manager took those steps to make sure that he landed, had a soft landing, meaning he wasn't employed one day and then unemployed the next. Let me put it another way, and this will help us kind of understand big picture why Jesus is telling us this. There was impending judgment coming for this guy about his future, and he knew it. So what did he do? He acted quickly. Verse number nine tells us in the amplified version of the Bible, it says we need to learn from this. So Jesus is telling his disciples, and by extension, you and I, learn from this guy, this guy that we would call probably a scumbag, a lazy manager who doesn't know what he's doing. He wastes all of these things. He doesn't care about the owner, that kind of thing. That's what we would think. But Jesus is saying, learn from this. And we need to understand why. So looking back at verse number eight. So, so the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world, this is Jesus talking, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now, what is that talking about? Very simply, Jesus is drawing us a distinction. Believers and non-believers. He is saying there are two different groups of people. The sons of this world are the unbelievers. The sons of the light, daughters of the light, that's us. That is believers. So you have believers and non-believers. He said, for the sons of this world, the unbelievers are more shrewd in their generation than believers. Meaning, when there is no hope of an afterlife, that makes the only thing that you can see in front of you that becomes the biggest thing. For us as Christians, we know that we are guaranteed an eternity in the presence of our Lord, in heaven with him, worshiping him. That's what we are promised. So a lot of us, we can't wait to get off this rock to go be with the Lord, be in his presence for eternity. There is hope in that, and that is through Christ. But if you're an unbeliever, what are you going to do? Take a dirt nap, that's it. Lights go out and that's it. There is no hope in that. And so when you don't have hope, what becomes the most important thing? For Christians, it should be winning people to the kingdom of God, that there is salvation through Christ, that they receive that so that we can have an eternity with our heavenly father. 
But for an unbeliever, it's like, okay, what you see is what you get. Here in this life, that's it. So what ends up happening is people become more shrewd about the riches of this world. You become more shrewd, acting quicker for earthly riches when you are simply focused on earthly riches. And this is an opinion of mine, so take it for what it's worth. My thought is the reason so many scammers try to scam the elderly is not just because they're easy marks or, or something like that, but it's my thought, the elderly, they have a fear of running out of retirement, running out of money. And so when there's an opportunity to get more money, then you fall victim to scams like that. And also you want to provide an inheritance to your children and to your children's children. You want to do that. So get-rich-quick scheme, get-rich-quick schemes sound good because you're chasing after earthly goods. But what Jesus says next is exactly the opposite. But before we move on, what Jesus is saying in this parable, he says that forward thinking, eternally, eternally minded forward thinking is a good thing to keep us focused on what is eternal, not tied up in the temporary things. So when he says, this guy is good for being shrewd, meaning, whoops, my behind is in a sling. What am I going to do to not be unemployed? He's saying, take that, that concept, take away all the scumbaggery, and use it for good. Use it for eternal things. Look at verse number nine. And this is Jesus speaking. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, this is not a really good translation because the literal translation of it is when earthly riches fail. Not when you fail. We're going to fail every single day. But earthly riches, when that fails then what are you going to do? That's a, a good way to, to look at this um, particular verse. And then he, we see this term in verse number nine, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. Mammon is one of those Bible terms. It's actually an Aramaic word that refers to riches, earthly riches. Earthly riches are not bad, but what Jesus refers to them is unrighteous mammon, unrighteous riches. That's, he's referring to the things of this world. Look at verse number 10. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, 
Who will give you what is your own? Then he sums it up right here. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God in eternal terms, and mammon here in earthly riches. There's a whole lot that what Jesus is talking about right here. But let me sum it up this way. You cannot serve God and earthly riches at the same time. Why? Because what we can see, what we can touch, what we can see on the stock market ticker, what we see, that becomes what we put our trust in. When, back in, in 2009, when the stock market, the housing bubble, oh, you guys remember that, the economy tanked, there were people who lost their entire 401ks that they'd been working their entire lives for. I knew several of them. They lost a lot of money. And as a result, some of them went into depression and, and things like that. Go back even further, the stock market crash of 1929, you had people jumping out of buildings rather than face what was going to happen. We put our trust in what we can see, what we can touch, what we can, you know, all of those kinds of things. What Jesus is saying here is trust me and serve me. You cannot serve both. As Christians, there should be a primary focus for us, for every single person that we come in contact with. We should be, if they are not born again, we should be focused on winning them to the kingdom of God. Now, if they are born again, our second task should be discipling them. Iron sharpening iron every single time. That should be our focus. Those are eternal principles. That's what we should be doing. Because what Jesus is talking about is when the cares of this world, riches, money, more stuff, becomes the primary, that's where we get into trouble. That is where he says, okay, you cannot serve both. That that line keeps kind of switching like that to where you care more about spiritual things and then next week it's more about earthly riches and all of that. Not saying that if you think about eternal things, you won't ever think about riches. Everybody's like, oh no, time to pay the mortgage again. That's, that's called life. But when you start putting cares of this world over spiritual things, that's where we get into problems. And that's where Jesus said, you cannot serve both. Either you will love one and hate the other, you will love one or hate the other. Let's go ahead and keep going. Verse number 14. Now here's the, I don't know if I can say this in church. It, as kids, we used to call them buttinskis, people who like to butt into conversations and stuff. Um, behind inskis, is that more church? Okay. Um, Watch this, verse 14. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard these things and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. 
For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Ouch. Ouch. He calls them out, and rightfully so. Because what he is doing is, or what they did, they sneered. They ridiculed him, said, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. We are the religious people. We've got a lock on religion. Who does this guy think he is? And Jesus flips it right back around on them. He calls them out and says what they value, what they esteem higher than God is detestable in the sight of God. Luke includes, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money, they heard these things. He said, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. It is detestable what you are doing. That's what he is telling them, and rightfully so. Because what they do is they seek the approval of men and not God. They, they made God into what they wanted him to be. With their laws saying, oh, I can keep the law. Okay, yeah, I, I, I hate you so much. We talked about this in, in Bible study last week. I hate you so much, but guess what? I didn't pick up a knife and stab you, so hey, I didn't kill you. The law says can't kill. Whoop, didn't kill you. But Jesus comes in the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, no, no, no. It is your heart. When your heart crosses that line, you are in trouble. Jesus knew their hearts. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is telling his disciples. He is telling them this parable. And again, a parable is a kingdom truth. Something that is true in the kingdom of God that has an earthly application or an earthly understanding. So he is telling his disciples, then the Budinskis over here are like, no, nah, that ain't right, no. And they start to make fun of Jesus. He knew what they valued, and that was not what God valued. They had their own interpretation of the law, and they were sticking to it. And Let's go ahead and look at verses 16 and following. He says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for even one tittle of the law to fail. So again, who is he talking to? He is talking to these Pharisees who have perverted the law to make it fit themselves. So what is he talking about? He gives an example and he, at first glance, this verse on marriage seems very out of place. Like, wow. Because in Matthew's account, this beautiful chapter 19 on divorce, what's acceptable, what's not. But here in Luke, we have one verse. It's like, that seems kind of strange being put there. But when you understand the context of this conversation, we know exactly what he is talking about. So again, he is talking to the Pharisees, you lovers of money, you perverters of the law. He says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, 
for the sake of time, we are not going to talk at length about marriage. I just simply want to give context to this conversation or to this verse right here. Jesus gives an incorrect view of their understanding of the law. And this will help us understand it. So according to Jewish law, there's only certain things that you can get a divorce for. One of those was if the woman was unclean. You could say, yep, according to Jewish law, I get a divorce. What these guys would do is if you touch a dead body, you are considered unclean. What they would do is they would go and if the woman was anointing a body for burial, using oil and stuff like that, if she accidentally touched that body, check, technically she's unclean. There was a process she had to go uh, to become clean, ceremonially clean again. But what these guys would do who wanted a divorce, why? Not for the original intent of the law. They just didn't want to be married to her anymore. Maybe there was someone else who came along. Who knows? But what they would do is be like, uh-huh, yep, she touched a dead body. Oh, I'm done. She's unclean. Where's my divorce? They were taking that law, perverting it, and making it, be an advantage to themselves. So they could use that as an excuse for a divorce. So was it truly the intent that Christ had laid out? No, it wasn't. Again, they perverted that to benefit themselves. So verse number 18, when Jesus does that, what he's doing is he is giving them an example of your you Pharisees, your interpretation of the law is wrong. Your motives for everything, for the approval of men, for money, for the law, you got it wrong. The intent is incorrect. So looking back at our parable for today, I want to give you four simple takeaways for us, when we leave here, this is something, these are four things that we can do. And I encourage you, we have these on the, the YouVersion Bible app. But number one, be forward thinking when it comes to eternity. With our families, with our coworkers, with people we go to school with, things like that. Be forward thinking when it comes to eternity. Don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait like this manager to where you're sitting in the boss's office like, oh, no, I'm going to get fired. I should have done this, should have done that, should have done this. Don't wait until it's too late. Bring others to saving faith in Christ and then encourage them, disciple them to live for him. And let's share that message with others. And here's the, the thing. No matter who we come across, whether it's, homeless person, whether it's an unbeliever, whether it's a believer, a good thing for all of us to keep in mind is Jesus Christ loved me enough, but guess what? He also loved them enough to die for them. 
We are not better than anyone. We all need salvation. So point number two, use material goods that you have to help further the gospel and the mission of Jesus Christ. That is something that we can pull from this parable, that when we see a, an organization, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's a church, not necessarily this church, a church that is sharing the message of Christ, winning people to the kingdom, I'm encouraging you, and I'm echoing really what Christ is saying, give to those organizations. Not just money, donate resources to them. Gail, do we have any, anything that you can think of in Northwest Arkansas that can use it? Yes, there is a whole lot of organizations that could use help. Our job is to help further the kingdom. Give to other churches, that's okay. That's, that is not our competition down the street. I hate to tell you that, they are not our competition. No church should be in competition with another one. So, using material goods to, to help further the gospel and the mission of Jesus Christ, my advice, pray about it. Where can I give? How can I give? If it's not financial, how can I do that? Be good stewards of what the Lord has blessed us with. It could be old clothes. It could be stuff in your garage. The point is give. Give, because it's when the Lord changes us, we want others to hear the message of Christ. Number three, remain faithful in what you do have. And I'm going to read again Luke 16, 11, and 12. This is out of the, uh, I believe it's the New Living Translation. And just listen to these words. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Don't get mad at me. Those are the words of our Lord right there. And number four, trust in the riches of Christ, not of this world. The world is only here for a short while. Eternity, that is a long, long time. We need to trust in the Lord, not in the world. And here's the thing. That is a lot easier said than done a lot of times. Why? Because our brains have been trained by this world since we were Mason's size. Since we were his age, the world has been training us to think a certain way. The Bible, things go against that grain. Sometimes it feels like we're swimming upstream but what we need to do, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is we need to renew our minds to the things of God. Not just one time. Yep, got it. I wish it was that easy. I really do. When you got a thick skull like mine, sometimes it takes a long time for things to get through. But we need to consistently and constantly renew our minds to the things of God to look at parables like what we see today. Not just what to do, but also what not to do as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to relish in your word. Father, we ask that you help us 
take the things that Christ was talking about in this parable, and Father, we want to implement that in our lives. We want to keep focused on eternity. We want to use what you have blessed us with to help further the mission of Jesus Christ and to make him known and for people to be born into the kingdom. Father, we also want to remain faithful in what you have blessed us with. And Father, we want to trust in your riches, eternal riches, not the riches of this world. And so, Father, we thank you for your word that went forth here today. We just ask that all of us be doers of this word, not just hearers only. We don't want to deceive ourselves in that. Father, we truly want to live for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask this, and amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com, or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.